I think it's out of the mouth of babes sometimes, uh, some of the things that we feel in our hearts. This morning, before we start, um, it is Mother's Day weekend, and we do have something for you mothers afterward. Um, we'll be passing that out. And I just have one thing to say this morning. Hi, Mom. She's watching. <laughs> um, it is a wonderful time of year to remember uh, what our mothers have done for us over the past years. And uh, for some of us to remember the things that uh, they made it through. And for some, you've lost a mother uh, not too long ago or a long time ago. And to reflect and think, I think that's a very important thing. Just a second here. I'm running into a little bit of a problem. I was wondering if I could get the clicker. Technology. I love it. <laughs> Last week, I told you a story and I forgot to tell you the end. Do you remember the story about the man that was telling about this little boy that was having a, a problem with being daddy's little son because he didn't have a father? The end of the story is the people asked the waitress, who was that guy? And she goes, oh, you didn't know. He was the one that was in the story. He was the little boy. And uh, not only that, but uh, he was the governor just a while back in Tennessee. His name is Ben Hooper. And so when he said that story and when he told that story to them, it was a story that was near and dear to his heart that the preacher saw him and said, you know what, I see the resemblance. I see the creator etched upon you. And he became something great. I want to say because of one person's belief in him. But sometimes that's all it takes, folks. So instead of looking at somebody and finding the faults with them, maybe you should look for the good in them and change the course of their life forever. And today, as we're looking at this going, oh no, pastor, when I look at the word doctrine, over the last 10 to 15 years, the word doctrine has taken on a negative form. But let me tell you, today this is not the case. In fact, I would like to look and see what really doctrine looks like, and we're going to start off with the doctrine of Jesus, what the Seventh-day Adventist Church kind of teaches what Jesus is, but we're going to do it in a little unconventional way. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me, and uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with this, but I'm going to spend some time kind of um, showing you, um, not only from the Bible, but other places, that Jesus is actually real. And some of you are like, we wouldn't be here if he wasn't. I wouldn't guarantee that that's the truth. Because sometimes people just come to find out if he's real. And sometimes we can portray whether he is real or not in our own lives. And people might take that and go, hmm, I don't think so. Or, hmm, that's worth looking into. But according to the Bible, because that's where we base our things off as Christianity, and I will go into some other things, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it starts reading like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he was thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which she is conceiving in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name, what? Jesus, or in the original language, Yeshua. For he will save his people for their, from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, a lot of times we just kind of gloss over this, and usually one time of year we read this. And when is that one time of year? Christmas, yes, it is. And today I would like to look at the doctrine of Jesus, but not only from the Christmas story, but from a lot of different angles. And when we look at that, it is a curious thing. We have to ask, what is doctrine? Well, let me read it to you, because I went to the dictionary and I was like, I was confused after I read it. I was really confused. It says, a principle or body of principles presented for acceptance or belief as a religious, political, scientific, or philosophic group, dogma. A rule of principles of law, especially when established by a precedent, a statement of official government policy, especially in foreign affairs and military strategy. I was like, okay, we're going to throw out all the doctrines. Because <laughs> if it's like that, oh, pfft. It's terrible, but there is some keys in here that are really good, and that key is a principle or a body of principles presented for acceptance or belief. If I would boil down what our doctrines really mean, if you look at them, we have 28 fundamental ones. Those are what make up who we are. Those are principles that we live our lives by. And if we look at them with a very good microscope sometimes, um, you'll find out that there are nuances and things that you never knew before. But all of them are based upon the life of Jesus Christ. All of them are based on what God wants me to do. And in studying them, if you don't look at them from that viewpoint, you get into trouble really quick and you start looking around you and you make sure that people do things just the right way or else you don't want anything to do with them, right? Wrong answer, no. No. If you look at it that way, you look at it as something that you do or don't do. And that is not how we've ever looked at the doctrines of the church. It is a relationship we have with God. And a relationship we have with God is something totally different. If you have a relationship with Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus no longer becomes a, you better believe it or you're going to hell. It looks like, hmm, who is this guy? Wouldn't you like to know who this guy is? Because there are so many people that talk about him all throughout history. I thought, man, you know what? I think it's time that we learn a little bit about Jesus and we spend some time in the scripture, but I think we need, to, we need to look at this in a different way. Why is that so important? Well, if you have a belief system or you have beliefs, that is doctrine. What do you believe in? Whom do you believe in? And Jesus, is Jesus an ideology? How many of you, if you enter into a relationship with somebody, whether it be a friend or whatever, would like that friend only to view you as an ideology? 
No one would like to look at a relationship as an ideology. We want some boots on the floor. We want some time with the person. We want some contact with the person. We want to have some conversations. We want to have some, well, now and then a hug wouldn't be bad, but don't force it because that's not good. I learned some things this week. I'm like, Ugh, you know, I almost don't want to hug anybody after those uh, HR things that we study about. But when you have a relationship with someone, there is more than just the thought of them. So when you look at Jesus and you see him on the cross, it's like, okay, that's an ideology I can understand. Okay, fine, I believe it. I put my stamp of approval on it. But then a pastor gets up and says, why don't you have a relationship with God? And you're like, what does that look like? I can't see him, can't hear him. What in the world? I saw something this morning that says that God is like the air you breathe. Can't see him, but if you don't have him, you die. There's an interesting, interesting thing in that, that sometimes we do believe in God, but really when it comes down to it, if you start stressing out about something, where's the first place you turn? That's your God. So in believing in something, we don't just put our stamp of approval on it. We have to have some history. A historical person would be nice, wouldn't it be? I mean, if, if we say that we believe in Jesus, wouldn't it be nice to know that there was a historical person that was actually called Jesus Christ that lived in a certain place? That this was actually something that we could believe in? That we would have some authority? Well, we believe that Jesus is a historical person. We believe Jesus is God, and we believe Jesus has authority today. So in belief in Jesus, there's more than just an ide ideology or a feeling. It becomes a real person that is accessible by you and I. And in thinking about that, how many of you, if you were told, oh, by the way, there's a uh, lakeshore near Mendota, and uh, you can go there, and Jesus is there today. How many of you would be tempted to go? Yeah, I know. And some of you are like, no, I read Revelation. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> but if it was really him, wouldn't you go? Every single one of us would go if it was really him. Wouldn't it be amazing to start to hear the teachings and wouldn't it be amazing to be those people back then? I've had skeptics in the past to be like, Jesus is not a historical figure. Uh, just kind of a concept that you Christians have created. And in saying that, I looked and I saw a number of groups of people around the world that actually mentioned Jesus. And one of them is Judaism. They mention him. Um, he is kind of a threat to some things that they believe in, but not really. And so some of them accept, some of them don't, but he is mentioned quite a bit in a, a number of their publications. The Baha'i religion actually acknowledges that he is a good teacher. Buddha, we know that God is a symbol of who he is and he is an enlightened man. They say that. And that he's a good teacher. I knew this because I have read the book of Buddha because my parents, I mean my grandparents were Shinto Buddhists. The New Age movement teaches of Jesus that he has spiritual things that he has taught and that he was an enlightened master and that he was a guru. African traditions and religions, they believe in their ancestors mainly, but Jesus is God of life. He is the healer and liberator. The Druze, they mention him, and they say that he was, in fact, crucified and that he was a good teacher. 
And some of these you may not know, so if you want to look at them up later, you may. Rastafarian religion. Jesus has been referred to as an incarnation of God or Jah. And um, I've studied quite a bit into that too because I had a number of friends that were into that. And um, it's interesting how they see Jesus. Islam. Isha is a divinely wise teacher, went to heaven in bodily form, and he will return in a second coming. Wait, that sounds familiar. Christians around the world of different flavors and whatever, there's many, many different beliefs in Jesus and what he really exists like, but there is history that is mentioned over and over again about Jesus in the Christian uh, traditions. He was also mentioned by many. He was mentioned in many texts in history and talked about by many cultures around the world. So historical, um, it's really hard to not believe that there was an actual Jesus. Uh, Thales in AD 52 tries to explain the darkness and the earthquake that happened around Jesus and uh, really can't explain it too well because how many of you could describe what happened to Jesus with the earthquake and the total darkness in the surrounding area? I wouldn't be able to describe it either. I'd be like, there was an eclipse, but eclipses aren't that dark and they don't cause earthquakes. Um, and trying to explain something like that. And that's, if you read it, it's kind of a stumbling, like, oh, I'm trying to explain this, but I have nowhere to really go except for maybe there was an eclipse. And uh, I've been through eclipses that are total and it doesn't get that dark. So, not like midnight. Uh, there's another one. Um, there is Tychidus in AD 56 to 120 he lived. He tells of the Christians and of Tiberius trying to get rid of a problem and his name was Jesus and creating more of a problem. Interesting. Also there is Marabar uh, Serapion is um, AD 70 talks about a great leader who died and had influence upon the earth and talks about many leaders including Socrates and others but mentions Jesus and all his followers and uh, that was kind of interesting for me to read a little bit about that uh, Flagian uh, talked about the darkness surrounding the cross also was stumped by that and didn't understand what was going on uh, Lucian of Samosata in um, A.D. 115 to 200, talked about Jesus and the Christians um, trying to disprove their theories and things, but for us, proving that he actually existed, which is kind of curious, because you look back in history, and there are people that didn't want Jesus to survive and wrote about it, and then we're like, oh, so he did exist. Celsius in A.D. 175 talks about Jesus coming uh, from um, actually, it's almost word for word like the story that we just read, that Jesus came and uh, was born here of Mary and of a carpenter. And the story is just a little bit different, but uh, pretty much on, on par with what the Bible says and uh, warns people against the teachings of this man. Uh, Josephus was born four years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's a historian that is Jewish and even writes about in one spot that Jesus had blue eyes. It's interesting. And uh, some of the details that are there are, are kind of interesting, but being a historian, he gathered information from all the people that were alive during that time. John 1.1, 1, 1, if you'd turn your Bibles there with me.
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and life and that was the light of the men, and light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name is John. Whose, uh, this man came for, for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that there was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we believe his glory, and the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you unwrap that carefully, you find out John is talking about whom? Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus being God. So we know that he's a historical figure, but as God, it's kind of testy for some to believe him as God. Many faiths around the world know him as a good teacher, but to know him as God is something just a little bit different. Um, to really understand how God acts is very weird until he sent his son Jesus. When we see Jesus starting to teach, what is the one thing that we know that he taught? It's okay, just yell it out, I don't care. Okay? Yep. Yep. All of these things. Yeah, show us who the Father was. And guess what? He said, if you've seen me, I'm just like him. What's amazing to me is that we have many, many concepts of what God is supposed to look like, and then Jesus steps into the picture and shows us. And we still have a lot of concepts of what God is supposed to look like. So and when we look at Jesus and we look at his life, we understand that he is not only a good human being, but he is fully God also. Well, how does that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit showed up. And the Holy Spirit hovered over her body, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. We don't know how that happened. I've tried to parse that. I don't understand it. But I do know this, that if he's fully God and fully human, and he was tested in every way that we were tested, what does that mean? That means I serve a loving God. If I serve a loving God, he created himself to come and live among us. Because if he created just a human being to come and be tortured for us, he is no longer a good God, but an evil one. Because he created a human to be tortured and killed for us. But if he came himself, that's different. If he came himself as the creator, only the creator can die for the created and start everything over again. So Jesus represents something amazing. He represents history. He represents God himself. And on the cross, what did Jesus say? I mean, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing right now. Forgive them because I want you to take my sacrifice as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to be worth it. 
And he did it even when they put crown of thorn on him and whipped him with things that are undescribable because he was not only human, but he was God, and he was doing it for us. So it's amazing to see Jesus as God. If you look at these texts, let's just look at them really quickly. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. <laughs> and uh, you are coming to me. He's, by the way, he's his cousin. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all of righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighted upon him, physical form. And suddenly a voice from the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, God the Father. And Jesus being baptized. The unity at that point is amazing, because as he is baptized, people start believing in him immediately. Because he is so humble that something is different about this man. And right afterward, we know that he went right into the, the desert <laughs> and was tempted. But we know from this that God becoming Jesus Christ in reality um, is something that has been disputed all over the place. And there are still people questioning, is Jesus actually God the Father? No, it says like, the word like. And so when you see this in the Bible, you see Jesus Christ is coming for you and I. And if you read Mark 1, 9 through 11 and Luke 3, 21 to 22, that story is repeated again and again. They speak of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father claiming that the Son is in fact Jesus Christ. And when you hear the words, in whom I am well pleased, what do you think about Or does that just, is that just me having an overactive imagination? It might be. It is reminiscent of when God creates Adam and Eve and says, it's good. So Jesus Christ himself is the second Adam, the one that redeems us and buys the world back. It's a reminiscent word that God uses, and I think it's beautiful because it in fact shows us that God is who he says he is. Now, uh, the belief in Jesus is not just in the New Testament. It's actually in the Old Testament too. The belief in Jesus extends to the Old Testament because it says the lamb is the one that takes away the sins. And Jesus claims to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And if you look at the day of atonement and you look at the, the daily um, things at the temple, you find out that God is present there. We bring the lamb, which is Jesus, and we <clears throat> kill it because that's what happens when we sin. Um, and the, the lamb basically dies for us, and the blood is taken before the throne of God, uh, before the curtain, and it is forgiven. Now, I want you to look at this carefully, though. I want you to look at it carefully, because if you look, there is always three. There is the altar of sacrifice, the bronze basin, and the temple building, if you just look at it from the outside, Okay? 
Then when you look at it in the holy place, how many pieces of furniture are in the holy place? Three. See the, the table of showbread, which Jesus says that uh, I am the bread of life and I am the crushed grape and all that kind of stuff. All that symbolism goes into that. It's his throne. And then you have the lampstand. The seven-branch lampstand has what in it so it can burn? Oil and a wick, okay? That represents the Holy Spirit. In Revelation, it shows the seven churches and the Holy Spirit moving forward in the, in the seven churches. Now, the altar of incense is there. It is basically the way that we can communicate with God in the Old Testament. Um, only if you were a high priest or a priest would you go into the other place. Otherwise, you were afraid that you would die because you were respectful of God. And there was a few preacher's kids <clears throat> that weren't, and they didn't really make it. So just saying that you got to watch out because they were disrespectful before God, and uh, we, we don't want to do that. Now, in the New Testament, when Jesus dies, what is taken away? The curtain in between, and we no longer need the altar of incense because we can pray directly to God. And that can happen all the way through the Old Testament too, but they had to come through the temple. So if you do away with those two things, how many pieces of furniture are left? Three. You have the table of showbread, you have the Ark of the Covenant, and the lampstand. So all the time there is three. So if you'd like to study that further, I encourage you to because it is an example of who Jesus is, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament because Jesus is no longer the the one that has to be intermediate for us. He's already paid the price, so they ripped that big gold curtain down, which is thick, by the way, and all of a sudden, we can come before the throne of God with the advocate, and Jesus in Revelation is at the right-hand side of God's throne, the table of showbread. It's amazing to me to see that Jesus is written about so much as holy of holies, and God is part of him, and he is God, that uh, sometimes we just miss it. So let's look next at the outside. This is a little grainy, I'm sorry, I didn't get the best picture. I have a friend that actually has a model of this and if you come to the camporee, occasionally you can go and enter into a life-size, well, it's, it's a little bit smaller than the life-size one, but it's kind of cool because this would be facing, uh, the eastern gate would be over here and when you bring your lamb, you see that these tents are on the inside there, it's a little different than the other tents. That's the priesthood. You had to walk through the priesthood to get to the place that you're going to sacrifice your lamb. The priesthood is also a representation by Jesus Christ himself. He is the high priest. And so over and over again in the Old Testament, you see Jesus is central to everything that is being taught. This is what I meant by when Jesus was drawn, uh, the people were drawn to Jesus uh, they were to reconcile to him. In the New Testament, we see him filling the role of the lamb. We also see him in Revelation being fulfilled by the high priest. And I find it amazing that he is the key of creation. He is the eradication of sin. He is the being that is God and man at the same time. If God was the only one, um, if he was the only God, um, I wrote this wrong. I need to read it in just the opposite. <laughs> if he would just create a, a human being to torture for our sins, how many of you would follow Jesus? I don't think any of us would because a God like that sounds like all the other gods, lowercase, just vengeful and angry. 
A lot of times we think God is vengeful and angry because let's be truthful, our hearts might be there. Because anytime somebody does us wrong, even if they don't know it, we become vengeful and angry. We need to really go to the cross and be like, God, take it. It's bad, it's festering, it's nasty. Please get rid of it. So is Jesus still valid today? If he is biblical, historical, if he is God and he is human, is he still valid today? Well, I can't see him, I can't touch him. Well, that is a big thing with people nowadays. However, however, possibly more than that, Jesus has become the center of talk again. I don't know if you have heard about it, but even in The Chosen, people are talking about Jesus again. The Jesus Revolution film, people are talking about Jesus again. There are revivals around campuses and universities that typically don't talk about Jesus because they like to teach just the opposite. It's happening. Even on public campuses, we're seeing a renewed interest in God because there are no other answers out there that make sense. And Jesus being a teaching of love and mercy is something that is so attractive, but if you don't live it and you teach it, it becomes a knife that stabs people so deep they don't want to come back. And yes, we have to watch about that because sometimes we too can be uh, the perpetrators of that kind of evil. Um, if you look at the teachings, it's hard to ignore the teachings of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, they're very extra. They're very authentic. They're very experimental sometimes they look like. And sometimes they're very factual and it drives some of us nuts because it's just so a matter of fact. They are emotional. They're very practical. If you don't believe me, try to live out his teachings. They're, they're very practical, very difficult, but very practical. So yes, even if we take on social issues and threaten politics with a way of life that is very real and raw, we can protect the innocent and ask people to surrender to its reality, and that reality is centered on Jesus Christ as a person and as God. All the Seventh-day Adventist teachings are of Christ and Jesus-centered, if you don't believe me, go study for yourself. Start looking through the 28 fundamental beliefs. Look at them and see through the eyes of Jesus Christ saying, could you please keep these because this is what I am, this is who I am. It's a lot different than saying, if you do this as a checklist, you might get in heaven. Depends on who you tick off, but you know, you might get into heaven. But if you look at it as a relationship with Jesus Christ, you no longer look at that as a checklist. You look at that as a privilege. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and I want to do these things because I want people to see not me, but Jesus. Because if they see Jesus, they might be attracted to something and change their life totally forever and ever and ever. With Jesus and his followers, his teachings were something that we can identify with and we're drawn to him. So if you want to mature in the faith, let me tell you, following Jesus is not a bad thing. Let Jesus become more than just a concept, more than an ideology, more than just a neat person from the past. Why not do what he asks? He says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men and women. We let Jesus be more than just a historical person, and we let him be our everything and our every minute, even our now, and all of a sudden, we see Jesus healing us and changing us. We see him letting authority into our lives and we become more future focused. 
We don't become me-focused anymore, but we become other people-focused because we don't worry about our salvation anymore. And I'm going to ask this question. I don't want any of you to answer right now. I don't want you to raise your hand or nothing. But I want you to answer this question. If Jesus came tomorrow, could you say with a matter of fact, I'm going to heaven? And I know there's doubts here this morning. But if you know Jesus, you're involved with Jesus, it doesn't matter which part of the path you're walking to heaven with Jesus. It doesn't matter. You're still with him. And he says, the rest of the distance, I'll cover it. But please, be by my side. And the problem with us is we don't want to be by Jesus' side all the time because it says, you shouldn't be doing that. But I want to. It's really fun and I want to do that. That's not the point of salvation. The point of salvation is being by Jesus. If you mess up, He's still there and be like, ah, oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Our friendship kind of got out of control there for a minute, didn't it? And you're like, yeah, I've seen it before. <laughs> but I want you to know that you're my child. So as we're walking, I, made, I imagine if we look at Jesus and we say, you know what? I messed up. He's not going to be like, no, that one was just too much. Nope. How many of you as a parent have <clears throat> been there? That's too much. And you act out of frustration. You're going to get this punishment. You see, young people, we too, as adults, are still walking with Jesus. We haven't made it yet. We still, too, make mistakes. But we want to introduce you to our friend Jesus, and we want you to walk with him for eternity also. Let him be God and heal you and change you. Let him have the authority in your life and now and in the future. Can you imagine Mary realizing that her child was the Messiah? Gentlemen, can you imagine? Because, you know, usually we're at camp meeting when Father's Day happens. Can you imagine Joseph finding out my new son that's the Holy Spirit's son is going to be the Messiah? And I'm going to have to be his dad. Oh no. Can you imagine living a life like that? Well, you know you can. You can because if Jesus is in a relationship with you, it's kind of like that. That he's there every minute of every day. So I encourage you today, as you look at doctrine, don't look at doctrine as thus saith whoever, and if you don't listen, you're going to die. Look at doctrine as the things that we want to do to follow Jesus Christ because those are the things that hold us tight to him and close to him. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for saying that Jesus was your son because I'm not sure even as a pastor I'd, I'd believe him at face value. Thank you, dear Father, for putting people in history that even disagreed with him so that we know that he existed. Dear Father, thank you also for offering the gift of salvation, even if we didn't deserve it. But knowing that you loved us so much, you're the only God that I've ever read of that has ever died for his creation. I pray, dear Father, that you'll give us the ability to follow that you'll give us the ability to stare into the arms and the eyes of Jesus and say, I want a friendship. I want one that lasts for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.